0: The sweet counsels of a friend are good for the soul. Proverbs, chapter 27, verse nine. Nowadays, the word friend seems to be thrown around quite loosely. We can be friends on Facebook with people we have never met in person, sharing only the smallest trifle. We can be friends, I hope, with our families at home, who sometimes seem to know us better than we know ourselves. And of course, we can be friends with people who live across the world, or people right next door. All of the variations of those we consider a friend begs us to ask, what is a friend? The philosopher Aristotle tackled this question head on, and I'd like to begin Doorward Thinking series on friendship by discussing his thoughts on the subject with Patrick Andrews and Justin Sanchez, two friends and graduate students at Washington University here in St. Louis. It's time to get those Doorward Thinking caps on. Let's get started. Welcome back, thinkers. I'm your host, Nate LeBlanc, and this week on Doorward Thinking, we're beginning our series on friendship. For the next five episodes, we'll open a new door in our examination of how friends improve our lives at home and at work, searching for better ways to live and better ways to love as we examine what life has to offer in light of the untamable human spirit. I have a couple of friends joining me in the home studio today. First is Patrick Andrews, who graduated with a double major in Classics and Philosophy from the University of Dallas. He's a first-year PhD student in the Classics Department at Washington University here in St. Louis with a special interest in ancient philosophy. Patrick's career aspiration is to become a professor. He likes cooking, he brought brownies over for us tonight, and casual pickup sports. Welcome to the show, Patrick.
1: Hey, Nate, thanks for having me.
0: Also with us today is Justin Sanchez, who is a first year medical student also at WashU. Justin earned his bachelor's in neurobiology from Harvard College, where he was also an undergraduate fellow in ethics at the Harvard Kennedy School. Prior to med school, Justin worked as a data analyst at Massachusetts General Hospital, focusing on neuroimaging markers for early detection of Alzheimer's disease, and has had his work published in several scientific journals. Justin intends to specialize in psychiatry or neurology and help other medical professionals cultivate their highest ideals in the everyday grind of academic medicine. Welcome to the show, Jay Sanch.
2: Hey, thanks for having me, Nate.
0: We've gotten to know each other pretty well. In the last few months, uh, probably most notably on the pickleball and volleyball courts, <laughs> get to that a little bit later. But first, both of you are fairly new to the St. Louis area, and I'm curious, what do you guys like about it so far?
1: Uh, I've really liked the community that I've found here so far. I'm originally from Dallas. I just moved to St. Louis in June uh, to start school at WashU, and also my wife's uh, in-laws are here. And so it's been nice getting plugged into the community here, getting to know kind of her friends that she grew up with uh, and spending time with them and just getting to know a lot of the people here. I've been impressed by just in, you know, eight months, uh, how many people I've, I've found that I want to become closer with. So I've been really grateful for that.
0: I, I'm impressed by Justin, too. He's pretty impressive.
1: <laughs> I, <know. guy. laughs> I accidentally said that. Okay. Did somebody say Justin? Say that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I would echo all of that. Yeah, I grew up in New Mexico. um, And then I spent eight years on the East Coast, seven in Boston and one in New York. So it was a change of pace coming here for sure. But it's, in my mind, sort of a middle ground between like very laid back Albuquerque, New Mexico pace and like breakneck speed East Coast. (laughs) I just found it to be very friendly, um, topical, and at the same time, impressive, driven, you know, from the medical school to. Doorward, to, you know, getting to you know good young people, like moving things forward in their field, and also friendly, nice people.
0: Yeah, I also found that coming out to St. Louis from um, California, where the pace was a lot slower, but not too slow. Mm. There was a good amount going on. Yeah. So, how does Dallas compare to the whole fast pace, slow pace thing?
1: Uh, yeah, interesting question. Um. I don't know if I really see much difference in terms of pace. It seems about the same. In fact, I feel like I found a home in St. Louis, partly because of the similarities of communities I found in Dallas, um, especially in, in Catholic communities specifically. Just the University of Dallas It's kind of where my dad is a professor. So it's the community I knew a lot growing up. And then coming here, uh, finding similar communities like that. I mean, in terms of pace, I'd say it's about the same. Yeah.
0: What does your dad teach?
1: He's a professor of statistics at the University of Dallas.
0: Total different change totally going into classics.
1: That's right. Yeah. And his dad before <laughs> him was also a professor of statistics. So I'm continuing the family tradition in one way by being a professor. But
0: So, Patrick, I know you get this question a lot. So just so we can explain it to our listeners, what does it mean to study classics?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so classics means... Uh, studying classical languages, so Latin and ancient Greek, and the culture and history that they were a part of. Um, So history, literature, uh, economics, politics, all of these kind of fertile disciplines that we have now. Their rigorous study was, I wouldn't say began in ancient Greece and Rome, but was certainly a very good flowering of these studies. So that's what classics is. But I'm interested and ancient philosophy in particular, uh, which I think you could say, at least in the Western tradition, philosophy started in ancient Greece. So
0: That's why we brought you on. We're going to talk a little bit of philosophy today. Uh, (laughs) One of the other places where we've spent a little time together has been a classic seminar that you've been hosting lately. So what's this about, and how did you decide to get it started?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's... uh, That brings up a lot of fond memories, you asking about it, because actually I started it uh, with a group of friends in college at the University of Dallas. Most University of Dallas students do a semester in Rome as part of their studies. And so during the fall of 2018, I was in Rome with a bunch of guys and we decided to start these, we call them homey symposiums, where we get together, drink some wine and then read a platonic dialogue and talk about it. Um and so I that's when I started it was in Rome with these these guys and then we continued the tradition when we came back to Dallas and um I couldn't let it go when I got to St. Louis so Justin and I uh have have started it here to try to get people to to read some philosophy and think about uh important ideas and to kind of slow down and have some wine as well so
0: <laughs> wine out of a bowl very very important
1: That's right yeah so the idea is it's in line with this uh ancient Greek custom of the symposium, which is, you know, one variety of it is exactly what I described as. You're drinking and having discussions with your friends. Um, and, of course, they, they would often drink out of uh, not the usual paraphernalia that we have now, so bowls, etc. cetera. Um, yes.
0: And the last time I was able to attend, we talked a little bit about Plato's Lysis, which is also about the Greek desire to understand friendship. Can you give us a very brief rundown on that?
1: Yeah, totally. So uh, it fits in line with platonic dialogues generally, Uh, Plato's the author of the Lysis, And so the idea is it's a record of a dialogue that Socrates, this ancient Greek philosopher, had with some other people about a certain question. And so the idea behind it is he guides them to understand a question. Um, Even if they don't come up with an answer, he just wants to push them to think. And in the end of the Lysis, they end up saying, we don't have an answer about what friendship is. But Socrates is questioning these two young men, Menexenus and Lysis, asking them, what do you think friendship is? Do you think friendship is loving or being loved? Who loves, who's able to have friends uh, to push them to understand friendship better and to be better friends to each other? Because they claim to be friends at the beginning, and he wants them to, to deepen that.
0: So then you have Aristotle, who in his work, uh, Nicomachean Ethics, takes a whole different take on friendship. He actually has an answer for us, right?
1: That's right. Yeah, I think you can. As we were reading the Lysis uh, in this seminar that we've been having, people said, "Oh, let's let's throw this away. Let's go read Aristotle." So we ended up <laughs> did end up doing that the next week because people wanted answers. But I think as we as we read Aristotle, we kind of saw that he was picking up on the same questions that Plato was asking, and so his approach wasn't exactly to say, "Okay, I'm going to push you to think more deeply about this for yourself," but uh, just kind of giving you a more specific outline of ways to think about friendship. So. I think they're thinking about the same things, but you're exactly right. Their approach is a little different.
0: So we're going to take some time going through just a little bit of book eight. Uh, There are 10 books in this work and uh, eight and nine specifically talk about friendship and people's relationship to each other. Just kind of the bare bones. What does Aristotle really say about friendship here?
1: Yeah, it's a great question and a hard one to answer, of course, uh, because I think it's uh, he's grappling with a difficult topic. I think friendship is something that we all find hard to to define, um, and so I think the thing with the ethics is it's it's practical fundamentals is the way I like to think about it. Is it's what's most important to our experience of life, and how do we think about that practically, right? And so you can kind of see this in his intro. He he thinks about in book in section one of book eight. He thinks about the different ways we can think about friendship, uh, what other people have said about it how it's important to us, et cetera. Then he kind of expands on that to give his own vision of friendship, which famously includes the three types of friendship, which I think you want to talk about today. Uh, the friendship of utility, friendship of pleasure, and friendship of character or virtue. And so he kind of catalogs these, talks about their origins, uh, what they aim at, uh, what their virtues are. So that's, that's kind of the, the big picture vision of what book 8 is about.
0: We can dive straight into that. Um, How would you describe your friendship with Justin here?
1: What's important to start off my answer here, so I don't offend Justin, but what's important to start off with here (laughs) is Aristotle says that there are very few friendships of virtue out there. That's important just to to realize at the beginning. So I don't know if I'm able to appraise my relationship with Justin, you know, my friendship with Justin, like perfectly.
0: It's only been a few months. That's right. Like Realistically.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So, I I don't think so. First of all, I don't think it's like oh, the point of the, this idea is to you know go through your friendships and say this is this kind of one, this is that kind of one. It's not like a BuzzFeed quiz for like what kind of friendship do you have, <laughs> which would be kind of fun to do. But I think that there are elements of the highest kind of friendship, uh, the friendship of virtue, and what I have with Justin, because you know he and I often talk about okay, what's what's the good, um, and I think that I've experienced from him. Oh, a concern for my well-being, for my development, for my growth, uh, for my virtue, right? And and I hope to say that I do the same in return. But at any rate, that's kind of the core of what it means to have a friendship of virtue. But of course, we've we've gotten all three uh, elements in there. We, we have a lot of fun, like you said, on pickleball, playing pickleball and volleyball. That's a very good friendship of pleasure. And uh, in terms of utility, uh, I think you, you brought this book today. That was nice of you. Thank you for that. Yeah, you brought brownies, so I brought brownies just exactly. Justice so. and I brought the beer. Exactly. So. <laughs> MVP. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't I don't know if I can answer that question, but uh, that that would be my answer.
2: Such a cop out,
0: dude. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I guess we can just kind of jump in here. Uh, you talked about the different kinds of friendship. Can you give us a little bit more on each one so people can think about the relationships that they have with others?
1: Yeah. So I think the ethics as a whole, Aristotle's ethics as a whole, is about the good, right? So that's what he begins book one with is the ends of human life, right? There's one thing which everyone pursues, and that is the good. And that's going to be the same case for friendship, right? There's In everything we do, including friendship, there's a good we're pursuing. And so in friendship, it's the same way. Now, how Aristotle breaks down his three types of friendship is by examining the different goods that people are working for in their relationships. So um, you could be working for something useful, right? Uh, So, uh, you know, my philosophy professor at the University of Dallas like talking about his mechanic, right? As someone who he has a relationship with and is friendly with for the sake of some useful thing. Right. it's something external to the person you're friends with is this useful thing. And that's the reason you're friends with them. And if that useful thing were to go away, your relationship with them would cease to be what it is.
0: Right. And this is something we kind of see a lot with people at school or at different jobs. As soon as something changes, somebody leaves, those friendships tend to dissolve a lot of time.
1: Right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Yeah, I think school is a great example. I mean, that's the one I could think of because I've been in school for my whole life. And we'll be in it for another five years, so (laughs) I like thinking about it. Um, But you're exactly right, that you have a rapport with your classmates and with your teacher. That's only there because you're pursuing something useful together, right? And that good happens to be truth, and that's a valuable thing to be pursuing. But that's the basis of your friendship. And something similar could be said for pleasure, right? Pleasure being another external good. So, you know, say Justin, think hypothetically that he were really witty. Right, and so I enjoy—I would enjoy his company because of that. Wouldn't that be nice?
2: For the sake of argument, (laughs) exactly.
1: Um, So, if he were that way, then you know I would like spending time with him because of the good that I would receive. Now, the good isn't isn't his; it's not—it's external to him, right? It's pleasure, right? In fact, it's something I experience for myself, and it's not something that we really share, right? Pleasure is not like a shared good in that way. Uh, I really experience it, and that doesn't make it bad, of course. Uh, I would be great if Justin were funny, but <laughs> <laughs> sorry, <laughs> don't be defeated, dead horse here.
2: <laughs> Just wait till it's my turn. <laughs> exactly.
1: Um, but yeah, so that that pleasure is a good that's external. Now the the third kind, right? And this is here we go. We've gone up up this ladder to to the best kind of friendship, which is that of virtue. And the important thing about this is that it's so- something external to the person you're friends with. No, it's it's part of who they are. It's something internal is the good you're pursuing. It's they themselves, right? That's the good that you're pursuing, that you're affirming, that you want to be a part of um, when you're friends with someone for the sake of virtue. And so that's kind of the the core of friendship of virtue, is willing that that good that the other person has. And you. it's important to think about the good as something that is the most useful and and pleasure giving thing. So the other two types of friendship are also kind of brought up into this third kind of friendship, which I think is is kind of cool. Hmm.
0: Because Justin's good, it's
2: okay that he's not funny, basically, right? <laughs> that's a, a defect really in his good, goodness. I funny. <laughs> that's the, I think that's the deep Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and another place Aristotle talks about the virtue of like affability, right? Actually, like having good humor, which is a mean between. Being boring and being a buffoon. <laughs> 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 Buffoonery is the, the defective. Um, so, yeah, we're still finding that balance here, I guess. Yeah,
0: but. you go between the extremes. <laughs> <laughs> well, virtue is in the center, and that's what we're going to be talking about a little bit later. So with those three types of friendship in mind, Aristotle also says that there are certain things required to be a friend. So what does a person need to have or possess in order to pursue friendship with somebody
1: yeah that's a great question um so and it's great too because it means i can break out my cool greek terms which i'm always yes. looking for a chance to do <laughs> so two important parts of friendship are eunoya and homonoia define those please <laughs> <laughs> no, i was just gonna leave it at that um no, so eunoia, that's goodwill right and so that's kind of uh a kind of uh, a benevolence if you will right it's a kind of uh maybe you could just kind of say it's an affability right you're thinking about the good of the other and then homonoia is being of the same mind right so there has to be a certain sort of agreement between you and your friend about fundamental things right and it doesn't have to be total uh you just you think about it would be in some ways better if you and your friend agreed more it being Radically complete is not a requirement of friendship, but it is also a part of friendship. If you don't, if you have someone with whom you can't agree with anything, you'll never be friends with them. That's kind of common sense. Mm. Um, and then one more interesting thing that Aristotle says is the the need to to live with someone, right? Uh, living together is also a requirement of friendship. And what he means by this, I think, is you know you have to construe pretty broadly. Of course, I don't live with either of you guys, right? But we have a certain kind of friendship. Um, In fact, I only live with my wife, and yeah, sure, we're friends, but I hope she's not my only friend, right? (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so this kind of living together means you need contact with the people you're friends with. And this is especially true of the first two kinds of friendship. Aristotle seems to think that the third kind, the friendship of virtue, can survive spells where you're not with that person. Um, But the first two kinds, uh, because it's dependent on some external good, if you're not in contact with them, you're not achieving that good, and therefore the friendship doesn't exist. So those are some requirements. Another one would be there has to be a good that the other person can give you. I don't know if that's dependent on yourself or on the other person. It's kind of both. But, yeah, those are some of the requirements that Aristotle lines out.
0: Hmm. Uh, One thing that we've talked about before on this show quite often is justice. And Aristotle says that justice is something that is, or, or how would he say it?
1: I saw this question on the outline and I kind of panicked (laughs) because (laughs) I was like, well, that's, so in book five, he talks about this, uh, in book five of the ethics and then also in the politics, right? That's another work of his where he talks about justice a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, giving each person their due is maybe one way he would define it. I'm really worried one of my own professors is going to listen to this and I'm going to get an email. (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll roll with that one.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, giving somebody their due in terms of seeking their good, right? So, you know, what somebody is due, do, does that have any bearing on the goodness for them or, or what is in their best interest?
1: Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Um, yeah, of course, like I said, everything you're doing is pursuing some good. And so in the case of justice, giving someone their due, there's a good you're pursuing there and it would be theirs. Now, of course, that's dependent on your relationship to them, what you owe them? What is their due from you? Um, But presumably it would be some good that belongs to them that you need to fulfill.
0: There's a lot lot there, Uh, (laughs) a lot to talk about. Definitely, I'm sure there are courses on the ethics. can't just talk about it in a 15-minute podcast. Before we take a little bit of a break, Aristotle talks about people who are good and people who are quote-unquote bad. Can you explain what that badness is, first of all? And what kinds of friendships each person is able to achieve or attain?
1: Yeah, uh, great question. So I'll just go back to the fundamentals here, which is so good and bad are yeah those are fine terms, but of course Aristotle will be mostly talking about virtuous and vicious, right? That that's that's what defines someone is is virtuous and vicious. So vice, I guess vice would be the inability to pursue the good well, right? Uh, whether it's an ability to know what's good for you. Or a weakness uh, that prevents you from pursuing the good, or just kind of a bending of your will, where you, you know, you're unable to really properly will a, a goods, right? Uh, so those are kinds of vices, and you can see from that, of course, there's going to be problems with friendship, right? If you have problems willing goods, then of course you're going to have problems willing the goods of others, right? And so the vicious person is unable to see the kind of the person in their pursuit of a good, right? So you'll see you'll see that they'll be pursuing utility or pleasure through other people, right? And you might say, oh, look, that looks like it has the form of friendship of utility or friendship of pleasure. But in reality, it isn't because he's flattened the other person, right? He doesn't think about the other person in relation to that good, except as a means to that good.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: well, maybe I went JP2 there more than Aristotle, but I think that there, there are roots of that in Aristotle. Uh, and that's what he's looking at in terms of why vicious people can't have friends. And of course they can't, be the third kind of friendship because they don't have goodness in themselves. And so how can they be a part of friendship of of virtue, right? where The the people are mutually willing each other's good.
0: Is virtue something that somebody in a virtuous friendship needs to have first, or is it something that can be acquired over time through practice?
1: Yeah, I think, yeah, your question kind of points to the latter um, that, yeah, of course it's like no one's born virtuous and then there are all these people who are born virtuous meet each other and they become friends no i think like i said it's practical fundamentals so he's outlining i mean i've said the good the word the good a million times this pod or this podcast to the point where it's kind of running out of meaning but let's think about again the practical fundamentals that it's you know the virtuous person isn't just a category right it's a, it's a, it's a living reality where someone has some degree want pursued things that are good for him and he's helping And he's encountering other people that are also doing the same thing and they're helping each other right that's that's what it's about
0: excellent thank you Patrick Uh, if you're curious about the rest of Aristotle's thoughts we'll have links to the Nicomachean ethics full text and the spark notes uh, provided in our show notes (laughs) we're gonna take a quick break to get back to living and when we come back we're going to talk with Justin Sanchez about virtue And about how to determine where your friendships lie. I thought we were gonna talk about
2: pickleball. (laughs) That's after the break. We come back from the break. Oh, good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Get Back to Living. It's the part of the show where we talk about some of the fun and enjoyable things in life. Uh, Up at the top, we mentioned that we've all played a few sports together. In particular, though, I'd like to talk about a sport that a lot of people probably haven't heard about before. Hmm. And that's the sport of pickleball. And let me tell you, that is loads of fun. Uh, Justin, can you give a brief explanation of pickleball and how it's played?
2: Sure, yeah. So, maybe the... Well, the first thing to say about pickleball is it's the fastest growing sport in America. So, (laughs) probably more people than we might expect have heard of it. Um, I think the easiest way to describe it if you're starting from zero is it's like halfway between ping pong and tennis. Um, So you play on a court that's about half the size of a tennis court and hit a ball back and forth where the ball is like a plastic wiffle ball and the rackets are more like ping pong paddles than tennis rackets. Um, So depending on what kind of player you are and who you're playing with, it could be a very fast pace um, high-stakes game, or it could be a leisurely, uh, you know, retiree kind of game. So it's, it's, there tends to be a bimodal distribution of pickleball players <laughs> at the park. It's like 20-somethings and 65-plus. Um, hopefully that paints a picture.
0: Or or if you're playing with Patrick, a lot of starts and stops.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just argues about every single call. So it's like, no.
1: Starts or stops when Justin's crying Because of my serve
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah I
2: am kind of a crier Uh,
0: So Patrick when you came out to play with us It was your first time on the court What did you think of the game?
1: Uh, At first I thought it would be easy And then it was harder as I played more Which is kind of interesting Uh, Normally you'd expect like oh the sport's intimidating At first once you start playing it gets, you know, oh, this is more simple. But I think in reality, it looks like a simple sport, but then you realize as you start playing, okay, this is, this takes some skill, it takes some judgment, it takes some knowledge of how to move your feet. I had to learn that lesson a couple of times by falling <laughs> on the ground. Which doesn't actually happen that often during pickleball. I just, I've happened to do it twice already. So anyway. <laughs>
2: so like the first rule of pickleball is no heroes in pickleball. <laughs> no, no diving. no. Yeah. Are you improving?
1: Yeah, I am getting better. I think I've been practicing, and I've, you know, I, th- I think the real credit, though, in increasing my performance goes to pickles. I've been starting to bring them to each game. and
0: Oh, it's obligatory. The namesake.
1: I know, exactly. And I've found <laughs> that the game has become a lot simpler since I've started eating pickles in between rounds, despite people looking at me kind of weird. It's improved my performance.
0: <laughs> Dill pickles, hot pickles, what are we talking here? I'm going
1: for these zesty garlic spears. Ooh. They're pretty... They're pretty powerful. Justin had one. He couldn't handle it. He had to wash it out with water. Was, yeah, uh,
2: it did crazy things to my mind. <laughs> <He was fighting. laughs> well, you are a crier. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. We have that on now. <laughs>
0: So, Justin, I understand you've used this sport as a catalyst to bring some of your classmates at the School of Medicine together. Mm. What's that been like?
2: Yeah, uh, it's funny that I didn't expect there to be such high interest in this Kind of obscure sport, although fast-growing sport. Um, but yeah, then I just after talking to enough people about pickleball because usually I have like a few pet conversation topics that I go back to when I'm first meeting people. Um, and I feel like I got like a dozen. Yeah, that sounds great. Let me know when you're playing. I'll come play. And so finally, just like okay, big blast to the whole you know first year class, which is about 120 of us, and a bunch of people showed up at the park to play pickleball Um, and it turns out that many people like already had their own stuff and some people after playing just the first time went out and bought their own stuff. Um, We've had as many as like 20 classmates of mine together playing pickleball which is like I don't know a fifth of the class. (laughs) Um, So no it's been amazing and I found that that's like a nice way to get to know somebody in a different context so I might not otherwise like out of the blue say hey let's get lunch or let's get a beer um but then okay after we have this you know shared experience a shared good i guess um that's yeah it can be the foundation of a friendship hopefully especially
0: outside of you know such a rigorous professional context in school and sure. seeing everybody's competitive side come out
2: right yeah no i think uh, we're all intensely competitive <laughs> um, but it comes out in this healthy way and yeah I mean I'm preaching to the choir here Nate with as far as the importance of bringing together <laughs> communities of Fo- frozen pizza Friday for example but um, so yeah no it's definitely a, a key aspect of the of my time in med school so far is making space for these um, extracurricular you know just for fun not here to get anything from you type activities. Well, fantastic.
0: For more information about the sport of pickleball, please check out the show notes for a tutorial on how to get started and some equipment that you might need. Uh, Maybe we'll see you out on the court sometime. All right, everyone, welcome back. So before our little thinking break, we left off with Aristotle's three kinds of friendships, friends of utility, pleasure, and virtue friendships of virtue being the highest of Aristotle's classifications. We've talked a little bit about virtue on the show before, but Justin, would you mind giving us a brief overview of what virtue is?
2: Mm. Yeah, I think of virtue as is a stable disposition to choose the good. And there's as many different virtues as there are goods, right? We talked about justice earlier, which is the good of sort of the right you know distribution of things among people or giving to each his due. What's kind of neat about virtues is that they can be both uh, habits, or like in some way you can say this person has you know certain amount of justice, but they're also infinite, you know. So they're ideals or like north stars that can guide our actions, even though we can't fully attain them. Um, so we'll never be perfectly just or perfectly patient, or whatever, but still that can be a, a true guide to your action. I guess the other important thing to say, which we alluded to earlier, is that. Um, typically we think of virtues as a mean between two extremes or rather like, uh, the peak of a mountain in between two, you know, different ways that you could fall off the mountain, a defect of excess or a defect of not enough.
0: So with that framework in mind, the peak, can you give listeners a good example to maybe help conceptualize it a little bit better?
2: Sure. Uh, yeah. So take humility, which is one of my favorite virtues, um, not to say that I have it, just <laughs> this is a fun <laughs> one intellectually. Um, but so like humility, if we think about that as a mean between two extremes, obviously we know that pride is kind of a vice that's opposed to humility. That would be a, a lack of humility. But then a kind of false or an exaggeration of humility might be um, like a kind of self-deprecation, right? That, oh, I can't ever do anything because I'm no good. Um, Whereas true humility lies, you know, in between those two extremes. And the same can be said of any of the virtues.
0: So virtuous friendships are hardly ever discussed in popular culture. I I know we've talked about it earlier, like the BuzzFeed, what kind of friend are you question. So I found a lot of that and uh, questions to ask your friend to grow closer. And I think those are good things. But here on Doorward Thinking, we do like to dig a little bit deeper. Uh, What I'd like to do is to get, your take on a couple of points from a post called The Top 10 Tips to Find a Best Friend, which was written for the Doorward Thinking blog. Does that sound all right?
2: Great. Sounds good.
0: I went through and I picked the points that I think are the most important for developing friendships of virtue specifically. Uh, and the first point was point number seven, which is to think about how you feel after the interaction. Uh, and the gist of this is to take note of your state of mind and your heart. After the excitement of a personal interaction has died down, do you think there's a benefit to allowing some time to pass before labeling something as good? I mean, we've talked about the good a lot today.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I think there's definitely something to that. If um, I understood the question right, it's about particularly your, how you feel about something. And uh, as Patrick was saying earlier, you know, feelings are can be actually a part of virtue if they push you in the direction of the good and away from evil. But for most of us, our feelings are kind of an unreliable source of information about what's really good or not. And so having some time to deliberately reflect on what we're feeling definitely seems like a, a good idea for trying to grow in virtue.
1: I would also add that it's important to think about what the purpose of labeling your friendships is. So this the, the way that you phrase this criteria uh, makes it sound that the purpose of this, and I think this is right, is to evaluate whether or not this person has a negative influence on you, right? When when you're with them, you kind of get caught up in their charisma and their personality, and when you're away from them, you realize, oh, you did something in their presence. Like you maybe you mocked someone that you both know. You talked about someone's defects, uh, for example. I think that's really common. Uh,
0: and Well, we've done that plenty with Justin today. <laughs> <I> just, <okay. laughs> uh, he's been right here the whole time. I think that justifies that's true, it. That's true, that's <laughs>
1: true. Um, so we, we love you, Justin. We love
2: you. <laughs> Hate you guys.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. So I think that you know, if 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 that's the point of your labeling, then it's helpful, right? Then you're then it's saying, okay, look, I sh- I need to cut off this friendship because I did something that I know I shouldn't be doing. But I don't think that the point of labeling your friendships it it shouldn't be to be like like I said before, cataloging the different kinds of friendships you have, just to kind of bring in what Justin said about you know kind of goods being, uh, virtues being the North star, the ideal that you can drive through to, if you're just putting a label on your friendship and saying like, oh, this is someone who I'm friendship, uh, a friendship with pleasure with, then that's going to kind of hold you back from, you know, trying to advance it. Rather, you should look at it as, oh, what are the ways I can add to this relationship to push it closer to being a friendship of virtue? I think that's, it's important to think of labeling in the proper, in the proper context.
0: Absolutely. Like when, once you know where you're sitting or, or where you are, what you have, you can see what you need to add to it in order for it to grow. Exactly.
1: Don't mm-hmm. let them be static. You're exactly right.
2: Yeah. Interesting. That it takes us a little bit back to humility that I think this is really the mark of humility that it has this growth mindset to it, right? That I'm not, I understand correctly where I am and where I want to go.
0: So in your opinion, um, just out of curiosity, what are signs of a good interaction when you reflect on it after the fact?
2: It's hmm. a hard thing to know. I think like as I was speaking, I was kind of having this um, interlocutor in my mind disagreeing with me. Because <laughs> like, one pitfall that people can fall into, including myself, is to kind of overthink things. Like how did that go? To be kind of like constantly analyzing. Um, I don't want to sound as I'm encouraging that either. But I do think that there are like telltale signs that you can be looking for in interaction with somebody that would be a good indication that this is somebody I could really be virtuous friends with. Um, Would you really be like that after being with them, you feel somehow encouraged, right? This person in some way provides me with a new image of what it looks like to do something very well. And maybe I feel like I've done the same for them. I was able to encourage them. Um yeah, I think that's that's a key part of the as at least how I read <laughs> uh Aristotle is like that the friend of virtue can really be this like image for you of the the Kalan, right? The <laughs> the beautiful, the noble, the good. Um so whereas if on the other hand you feel after you're with somebody like okay, more like Inward collapse, more like slipping into um, destructive patterns of thought or vicious patterns, you know, that would obviously be a a red flag.
0: Anything to add, Patrick? Yeah,
1: I think Justin is right when saying it feeling encouraged. And I think the kind of another emotion that's associated with that is admiration. This kind of like Mm -hmm. heart swelling. You know, I think that sometimes happens. It doesn't happen all the time when you're with someone. Uh, But. We have all had that feeling of admiration uh, before and you kind of know what it is. And I think that's that's kind of part of this mutual encouragement is the admiration for the other person.
0: Well, that's a great segue into our next point, which is recognize what you admire about someone. Mm. Nice. (laughs)
2: Wow. (laughs) It's like we got the questions in advance.
0: (laughs) Uh, So this tip prompts the reader to consider the qualities of another person, uh, perhaps one they'd like to obtain for themselves or to emulate uh, so for friendships of virtue where do you think our focus in another person should be placed
2: hmm.
1: that's a hard question uh, my initial response to kind of the question as a whole is, well, is there a better way to ask the question no no no. that's that no no sorry I just don't know any immediate answer okay <laughs> so I don't know if I can answer your final very pointed question but like generally I think I've got something to say I think generally we should be trying harder to find things we admire in other in other people. And I think that's kind of what you were setting up with your question is. Think about the things that you can admire. And I think that the more you try to do that, the more you're going to find, right? So I don't know if there's a specific thing that you should be looking for exactly, um, but you should be looking for specific things, if that makes sense. Um, you're not looking mm-hmm. for, oh, yes, uh, what's the one thing that he does that's best? or like, uh, But just think about, all the ways that your pers- that your friend is is good, and try to be specific about what makes him good, right? Oh, he's very, uh, he always smiles whenever I say hi to him, or um, he's willing to put down his stuff, uh, to, to you know, put down what he's working on in order to to say hi to me. Um, I guess I really want people to say hi to me. <laughs> <laughs> hi, Patrick. I'm sorry I ignored you. <laughs> Exactly. So, or like he's very welcoming um, and willing to offer you things. Uh, you know, he's he's always has like a beer ready to give to you uh, when you're coming <laughs> over, right? Like, those are like little specific things that make someone good and, and are admirable, right? Uh, but I'm not like going around trying to find people who are going to give me beer. No, but it's <laughs> the people that I'm friends with. Let me try to explore the ways that they're admirable and be specific about
0: that. I'm glad you said explore because it started coming out like exploits. Exploit, our friends. No, 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 that's not what we do.
2: (laughs) No, I would just echo that um, and say that to me, the key is like to really just get curious about what's potentially admirable about this person. Because like everybody is interesting if you give them the time of day, you know, they have something, some good that they're seeking. Um, But it takes a genuine kind of curiosity or um, I guess admiration is really the best word for it. It's like getting out of oneself. Right. That's the Greek term. It's like ecstasy, basically. Right. (laughs) It's kind of wonder or like you can be in awe of your friend. You know,
0: once we know what we admire in a friend, how does the friendship itself work to cultivate those virtues for ourselves?
1: I mean, Justin said earlier the the encouragement, right? So when you know something specific about someone, you can tell them, "Oh, wow, I really appreciate that you do this," um, right? Like even in this podcast setting, I've had the chance to thank you for giving me beer, right? Like that's and you're I, most welcome. And, and and just by thanking you, right, that's enough to say I praise and encourage what you're doing, right? <laughs> it's like <laughs> for good having boy, us right? Fridge. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But but you get my point that it's like. Uh, that, that there are simple ways that we already do all the time, and just try to cultivate those more. Right, mm. of saying thank you, of saying, "Wow, I appreciate that you did that." Um, I think that kind of encouragement will help the other person do that more, and then will increase it, the appreciation of it in your own heart and make you want to do it more.
2: Mm. Yeah, I like that. It goes back in my mind to, I can't remember now the Greek. I know one was eupho something euphanoia, 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 and, and homonoi. Okay, yeah which um sounds to me like i don't know maybe it's the same word just but like the love of benevolence and the love of complacency right so benevolence being like seeking the good in the sense of like helping this person grow encouraging them but then also complacency just like to in some way just soak up the good that is already there um and i think that's a crucial point of friendship that is sometimes overlooked that sometimes there's enough to like be there with the person, just soaking it up. You know, like <laughs> we don't even have to. Like it could just be I'm driving and they're in the shotgun, and we don't have to say anything. it's Just good to be there with them. Um, but that's an important way that we grow, I think.
0: And the good that we offer each other and that we strive together towards is readily apparent, even if you're just sitting on the highway for a drive.
2: Mm-hmm. And it becomes even more and more apparent. That's like the mark of a virtuous cycle that. Um, the more you practice it, the easier it gets.
1: Yeah. I don't want to go on a rant like about this, but some people, they like talking about sitting in silence with other people as like the mark of a true friendship. And that, that just bothers me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think that might be specific to me and kind of particular to who I am and the people I'm friends with that. Like, no, I, I do not enjoy being silent with people. Like I can do it. And I think that that, like, Is I that what they sh- mean, though? Like, yeah, if I you guess can I, do it, I think that is what they mean. I, I I struggled to think about that at first because I also struggled to be quiet. Right? Maybe that was my, <laughs> uh, maybe that was my problem, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's just so I think some people. I'm not saying you do this, Justin, but some people I've talked to can, can, can idolize that. Yeah, this is, you know they're like, oh, I want to go seek out the quiet moments with these people. I'm like, Can you please just have a conversation with me? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I totally idolize it. But yeah, <laughs> but at the same time, I wouldn't like invite you out for a beer just to sit in silence, you know, like I want to, because that's just the way that we get to know each other. But yeah, as Nate said, it, it's like the the capacity to do that and be okay at some level. It's like tr- it's like trusting that I'm known by this person, even if I'm not saying anything. Um, but I think there is truth to it. Like, I remember being in the car where the... I was like in the back seat and the driver and passenger seat were two people who were very close friends with each other. And they just had this way of communicating that in some way went completely over my head because one guy could just say like one or two words and the other guy would pick up on exactly what he means. (laughs) You know, so it's like, I don't know that in some way, the closer that you're getting to be able to communicate with less, it's like a mark of better friendship. I stand by that. But <laughs> that's
0: fine. Even, even even in that, you're still communicating. Yeah, you're still able to know and be known.
2: Right.
1: Can I add something interesting that I that I read this week in Plutarch that I've been sharing with a lot of my friends? So Plutarch is this uh, second century A.D. philosopher, but he says that uh, the true philosopher knows that philosophizing isn't just making speeches. It, it can occur also when you're being silent and when you're making jokes. And when you're being made fun of and making fun of others, uh, because, yeah, you know, it's, it's astonishing. And amazing. <laughs> it's like my favorite line. Justin has probably heard it three times from me because I keep on telling everyone no, I read about it. Sounds it. like
0: we've been philosophizing a lot. <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly. Right. And that, that's the idea is that by all those what Plutarch is trying to say is by all those actions, because they're happening in the proper context. Right. Like at a dinner party, for example, that's what he's talking about. Uh, they can help others you know, move closer to the good. You can instruct them even in those things, right? Or are like, by telling a good story, he also talks about that. Like telling a good story is another way of guiding someone, of another way of philosophizing, therefore, which I think is just amazing. And I've been making fun of a lot of people in the last week to try to
2: make good on it. <laughs> yeah, I haven't noticed that. Actually, <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's what doorward thinking is all about, taking that time out and doing the little things well with each other. Uh, and Justin, I know you've got someplace to to be, so I think that'll wrap it up for us today. Listeners, don't forget to check out the top 10 tips to find a best friend, including the number one tip, something that's very important to us here on the show at the Doorward Thinking blog. So you can check it out there or check out the link in our show notes. Thank you guys both for taking some time out of your days to think doorward with us. Uh, anything coming up soon in your personal or professional lives that you're really looking forward to?
1: I'll go first, so Justin can't top me because I'm having a a, my wife and I are expecting a boy in two months, and we're super excited about that. So please prayers for Vincent Dennis, uh, our baby. We got the name already. We got the name already.
0: Amazing, love it. Yeah, definitely will be in our prayers. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah,
2: that's great. You really can't top it. I have an exam about kidney function, (laughs) (laughs) but I am looking forward to that too.
1: I've got an exam about kid functions.
2: <laughs> I heard a joke today. <laughs> okay, so do you know that actually everybody in normal like human development is born with four kidneys? Yeah, but, I knew that. I mean, but, yeah, you know. but two of them become adult knees, but oh. two of them. Still. <laughs> That's horrible.
0: <laughs> so, are are you looking forward to taking the exam or being done with the exam? Both. Yeah. Well,
2: yeah, I'm. On a serious professional note, I'm looking forward to what comes after, which is I'm hoping to do a big project to study the effects of a cognitive behavioral therapy based intervention on the well-being and performance of medical trainees. So keep that and maybe we can discuss on another. uh (laughs)
0: Yeah, that sounds fantastic. I'm very interested in that uh, based on my previous education. Yeah. Uh, So thank you guys so much for your time and hopefully we'll have you on sometime soon here talking some more philosophy.
2: Awesome. Thanks, Nate.
0: One big announcement for today. We're going to begin the second installment of our Ideas to Inspire book club. This time, we're reading The Business of Friendship by best-selling author, periodical and newscast contributor, and friendship expert Shasta Nelson. Her book promises to be of interest to both managers and employees alike. So you guessed it. Check out the show notes for more information on Shasta. You can find links to her TED Talk on Frientimacy and her book there. That's it for today's episode of Doorward Thinking. Join us next time for the second installment of our series of friendship, Stay Together, where we talk to real-life best friends about how their relationships developed and learn what really matters when getting to know someone. For more Doorward Thinking content from the whole team, check out our blog at doorward.com doorwardthinking. There's something there for everyone. From the contemplative learner to the Real Estate Pro, and those learning the business just like me. Follow Doorward on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter for more news, and subscribe to Doorward Thinking on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends and leave us a review wherever you access the show. It helps others to discover us and learn from these discussions. Till next time, I'm your host, Nate LeBlanc, reminding you to strive for the good with your friends, and to get back to living.